$100 million, acquisition.com, buying companies left and right, having started recently and just had three acquisitions last year. We're going to talk today to Alex Hermosi, who is the new sensation on social media. You've seen him everywhere, wrote a best-selling book, is out there inspiring millions of people every day, and he really does have a lot of wisdom to share. So in this interview, I talked to him about what industries he wants to get into. I talked to him about mm -hmm. how he runs acquisition.com, how he evaluates if a business is a good business, and the advice he would give to information marketers on how to turn their business, which is so dependent on them, into an exitable asset. We covered everything from social media, his favorite channels, to how he's growing his brand and what his biggest goals are, which is to reach a billion dollar a year portfolio revenue. Lots of amazing stuff in this interview, so get ready. Now remember, hit that subscribe button and make sure you click like and leave us a comment below. And learnexpert.com, L-U-R-N, expert.com. Join the entrepreneurial revolution for information marketers. I believe in peer-to-peer -peer education. Institutional education is dying. I wanna show you how to build an information business if you're ready to do it, join us there. But for now, let's go meet Alex Hermosi. And here he is, Mr. Alex Hermosi himself. Alex, what is going on? Welcome to The Fighting Entrepreneur. This has been a long time coming. I'm sorry, I've had to reschedule you twice because, but I have a good excuse, we had a baby. And so, you know, you and I had a podcast, our first one scheduled, the exact time. It was like within a half an hour of the time my baby was born. So I remember messaging your assistant like, a day before, I was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to be able to be at work tomorrow. So, man, thanks for finally making it here. I got so many questions to ask you. Congrats, first of all, on all your huge success. Um, company selling, book, and now social media sensation. I don't know where to start, you know? So much to, so much to ask you, dude. You, So tell me something. We'll, we'll start with this. I'm going to start with a question. It's just like, what's the evil plan here? What's What's the... What's the master plan? Let's start with the end in mind, and then I've got a bunch of questions to kind of specifically get into it. But social media, I mean, you're doing, a, this is hard work, uh, putting this kind of content. So tell me the big vision that you're going towards. I mean, the big vision at this point is to document and share the best practices of building world-class companies. And so, I mean, that's the mission of the business. And so that is what we're ultimately trying to, to have happen. And so we wanted to build a business that builds businesses uh, because after having the three exits that we had last year, it was more around like, okay, now that we've kind of done that, um, understand the process, et cetera, it's much more around, about buying and building now because the whole liquidity event, as much as it's like an interesting milestone from an entrepreneurial perspective, um, you then get this big glob of money and you're like, well, what am I gonna do with this big glob of money? Like, well, I guess I'm gonna go buy more assets with it. And you're like, well, what kind of assets am I gonna buy? Well, I mean, I do know business, so maybe I'll start buying business. And then you end up just like trading equity for one thing for trading equity basically back into equity and other things. And so after we made the transaction, it was like, okay, well, this is where we feel like we have a competitive advantage. Like I'm not a real estate mogul. You know I mean? I haven't been doing that. That's not a world where I feel like I have an, I have an edge. Um, but, you know, in the business services world, uh, education world, et cetera, um, just traditional business, I feel like we're pretty, pretty strong there. And we can have a value add in addition to capital and time. And so we wanted to build a hold co that would be able to scale companies quickly if they fit within our kind of buy box. And so that's ultimately what we did. And the social media side is, can we provide value to 99% of people without really selling anything? And then for companies that find value in that, who are, you know, 3 million, 10 million, usually, you know, our average company right now does 17 million top line um, at the time of this making, which is, uh, I'm going to date stamp this, August 16th, 2022. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, that's kind of the, the range of what we're looking for. Most of those guys are looking for, you know, getting to 50 or getting to hundred million um, and then having some sort of exit. 
Got it. So do you have a particular, like you're building acquisition.com. I've heard you throw around a billion dollar portfolio. Is there a numerical goal that you're going for? Like what's your next kind of mantle that you're, 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 you're shooting for? Yeah, the, the, the first one would be to get Layla on the Forbes list for women, which is she'd have to have a net worth over 250 million. So um, that's probably, you know, in the, the nearer future side. Um, after that would be a billion dollars in gross portfolio revenue. Um, and then after that would probably be, you know, maybe I, maybe I make it on the guys list, uh, which is, I would say substantially higher, uh, than the girls list. And that's no insult to women. That's just the, those are just the stats. Got it. All right. So the next, the next goal you're going for is 250 million. Are you guys public about your current net worth? Yeah. What is that? It's a hundred. Nice. All right. I figured I was going to say, because I've seen a couple of podcast episodes that are the hundred million dollar um, man. And then of yeah. course I saw one for Leela as well. Um, so one thing is how many companies are inside of acquisition.com right now? Right now, 11. 11 companies. Do you guys have like a particular rhythm? Is it like one every quarter or like, what do you, what's, is there a goal there? Uh, there isn't a goal. So that's been something we're pretty deliberate about uh, because we didn't want to try and force acquisitions. We don't want to want to do a deal. So we didn't want to even have incentives around that. We we actually recently just started saying that we weren't even going to put any kind of, we didn't even want to report on it because we didn't want to draw attention to it. So it's much more about gross portfolio revenue, which is what we drive. And so, you know, you can grow gross, gross portfolio revenue through acquisitions in terms of getting new companies in or by growing the existing companies. And I will say, you know, transparently, it's a lot easier and a lot faster to just grow the existing companies um, than just like onboarding yet another one. And so it's much more about like picking right, which I'm sure you can imagine, like, you know, you only need one Facebook. And so it's definitely not a quantity game uh, from that perspective. It's definitely like a pick right and wait game. Got it. Um, and you said your highest one right now is 17 million a year that you acquired? No, our average, our average, average. company. Average. Big difference. Yeah, <laughs> our average portfolio different. company. Yeah, no, our largest company did 11 million last month. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. And when, and what were they doing? Like, was that a recent acquisition? Like, do you have a, a story, a cool story? That's, a, that's an older one. Um, that what were they one, doing yeah, when you acquired them? 20. Per month. No, they were doing, oh, they did 20 the year before. That's awesome. That's amazing. All right. I, I got, I got so many questions. I'm going to try to bounce around here a little bit. All right. Cause I'm like, we're, we're already inside acquisition.com. I didn't even want to really go that far into it. Um, but so we have, um, so, so your goal is really to grow the portfolio revenue, which, which I like that as a goal, that's a cool goal because like you just said, you could do it by either just growing your existing companies, which would be a great incentive for you because that's why, you know, you invested in them and that's why they had you invest in them. Um, one of the things you said, I want to talk to you about this because there is, and I heard you say this on some podcasts and I, this was one of those moments where I stayed in my car. So I parked at my office and like stayed in the car, kept listening and like rewound it and listened again. And I was like still in the parking lot for 10 minutes, which I've never done before. Here's why, okay? I'm gonna come out in the open and say this. I have tried to build technology now multiple times. I think I heard you say at a different day on a podcast that you burned about $3 million. Well, if you feel bad, don't, because I think my calculation comes up to about 15. I have given it a long go for a long time. And this was a year where I just said, you know what? I suck at it. 
Like I, I don't, I can hire VPs, high powered VPs, and it doesn't seem to work. The only other thing I can think of is if I were to get at some point a very passionate, now this is all stuff I realized on my own and I was thinking on my own was like, if I got a really passionate co-founder who I really trusted and loved and that was the technical hand and all I had to do was marketing and sales, like maybe I have a shot at building a tech company. But the obsession with building a tech company is because everyone's just, oh, valuations and SaaS and, you know, ARR and MRR. And I've just lost so much money. And the, the, the episode I was listening to, you just said, I don't care about any of that. I'm building like simple, traditional information businesses um, and they're still going to be worth a lot. Can you talk a little bit about that? And because you've done a lot of thinking about that and it provided me some good hope. So talk about that. Yeah, for sure. And I would, I would add the caveat that we're, we're like open to e-learning businesses because they can be structured as what I would consider traditional service businesses. So the portfolio that we have isn't exclusively learning. It's we have brick and mortar chains. We have, you know, different, different things, um, you know, just traditional professional services, businesses, things like that. Um, but big picture, you know, education, I think just, it's like information as a service is the way that I kind of see it. It's like, that's really what, you know, coaching information businesses are, which is we're helping somebody achieve an outcome and we assist them through the process. And we just happen to have some sort of learning portal that assists in that to a degree, which gives leverage and adds to margin. Um, and so like, I just see them as just service businesses, like by and large, that's what they are, you know, with the exception of just like truly just selling courses and whatnot. But, you know, a course selling business is going to have less enterprise value because it's transactional in nature. There's nothing recurring. And so the only thing that, because from a value perspective, somebody who's buying it wants to look at the predictability of the future revenue and how likely it is to A, happen and B, grow and be bigger. And so it's like, if we can answer those two questions that it's very likely that this thing will continue to happen and second, that it's going to be bigger in the future than it is today, then it's going to be a company that's valuable. Most information companies as they currently exist are very founder driven, face driven, and they sell in a transactional model. So it's like, if that person disappears, the likelihood is low. Um, and in terms of whether it's bigger in the future or not, it's like they already missed the first one. So it's like not even worth getting into. But if you have a large, you know, addressable market that you can go after uh, and you have some sort of recurring nature that can be, you know, attached to uh, information, then it becomes a service business and service businesses can be sold for 10, 15 times, you know, uh, EBITDA without an issue. So it's really just making sure that the business itself can be transferred from one owner to the other, and that the likelihood that it grows and the likelihood that it continues to thrive is high. I mean, it, it. that's fundamentally how I see it. So we build so those much. companies and then reverse it. You know, like that's what they, that's what a future buyer would want. And we just reverse that in the present, which just also so happens to be what any owner would probably want is a company that doesn't rely on them, that is, has high likelihood of ha existing tomorrow and should ideally be bigger than it is today. 100%. Okay, so your goal is to get a company that you feel comfortable has a 10 to 15x EBITDA exit um, in its potential future. Is that Are you going to start at some point exiting or right now for the foreseeable future? Are you guys all about just growing that portfolio revenue? Or let's say tomorrow someone comes along and is willing to offer a good deal to buy out one of your companies. Is that on the docket for you right now? Yeah, no, we're actually in diligence right now with an offer for one of our portfolio companies we took on two years ago. Um, and so the founder had told me when he started, he's like, this is my exit number. He's like, I don't want to be fancy about it. Someone offers me that after fees, taxes, everything that's in my bank account. I'll take the deal. So I was like, okay. So we got it. You know, we ended up getting uh, approached by private equity and they made an offer and he said, that sounds good to me. And so 
we're we're in the diligence process as we speak. Awesome. Um, so it's the thing is is we're minority we're minority stakeholders. So if the founder wants to exit, um, you know we will we will assist in that process. What percentage do you try to go usually take? We're typically in the twenty to thirty percent range. And are you buying that that percentage, or is it more like your services in exchange for equity? Depends on the deal. Depends. On we've written checks. We've not written checks. It depends on the deal. Okay, got but it. by and large, the types of companies that we're taking on are high cash flow businesses that have low capital expenditure. So they don't. So if a business needed capital to expand, like let's say they wanted to, you know, have more corporate locations and they were expanding brick and mortar, then there'd be an argument for where the capital would go that would be, you know, needed to fuel to fuel business growth, right? Um, if there were, but the vast majority of businesses that we take on are not in that circumstance. Like we don't work with e-commerce particularly for that reason because they tend to be just be big capital sucks. Um, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so 10 to 15 X of EBITDA. Um, let's say you do get, so it seems to me like a typical information marketing business, right? Someone is selling courses, they have a backend coaching program or whatever. That's not, you know, going to be right out the box, a acquisition.com target, but let's say someone comes to you, that's what it does look like. And they, and you say, Hey, not for me right now, but they're very insistent. They say, tell me what you want me to do so that in one year you are interested. What advice do you give them so that that becomes an investable company? So oftentimes we will work with companies that are, um, in that, well, I say often, it's not like, you know, we have 11. Um, so we have taken on a handful of companies that have been in that situation because the transition from founder face forward to enterprise company is one that takes, you know, two years ish to really fully like kind of wash the fingerprints off you know the spirit of the founder is always going to be there but you know whether they're in the ads whether they're in the fulfillment uh those are the two primary places that they have to be removed so the easiest one to remove is from the ads um and then the second place that they have to get removed is from you know if it's an information business it's going to be the content itself um and then like subsection of like the delivery would be like if there's calls or there's events or there's workshops or there's webinars things like that we have to remove them from there. And so jumping ahead, because I know we talked a little bit beforehand, um, the, uh, when we were able to sell Gym Launch um, and Prestige Labs as a bundle, Prestige Labs was the e-commerce branch of the, of the business, um, we were not at our own events. So like we did not speak at our own events. We didn't show up. We didn't have coaching calls that we were attending. There was no trainings that we were educating people on. Um, and the real, you know, the only direct reports that we had was just the CEO and COO of the company. And that was it. So we didn't have the weekly meetings. We weren't on the monthlies. Um, we attended the quarterlies and we had our weekly one-on-one just with the CEO and COO. So that was the level of, you know, at which we had to be able to pull ourselves away from the, from the company to make it a sellable asset. And that you had already set up before you got approached by the buyer, like that was already there. You got approached by the buyer after all that was done. So this one was a different process because we actually went out, we went to market, whereas the one that I was talking about earlier, like we got approached. So it's just, you know, it's okay. fortuitous. Um, but no, we went to market. And so it was actually a two-year process for us. We went out to market kind of preliminarily, talked to different bankers, et cetera. And we're like, what do we need to do to sell this? And they basically just gave us the checklist of all the things that were wrong. And so it was like, it's too, you know, too, too founder, too founder face forward. So there's too much key man risk. Um, it's, you know, dependent on one or two primary acquisition channels. We'd like to see more. Um, more diversity of acquisition. Uh, we'd like to see lower churn in your, you know, in the licensing, et cetera, et cetera. And so they kind of gave the, the laundry list of things that they wanted. 
Um, and you know, the, the last one was like, if you can prove this out and maybe an adjacent space that shows that there's like growth potential, um, you know, in the business, then it becomes, you know, increasingly more attractive as each of those boxes get checked. And so it took us about two years to basically execute on that, which was like hiring out, you know, the entire leadership team, which got Layla and I out of the the day-to-day, um, and out of the ads, we built a 26 person cold call team to, which at the time of the sale was, uh, over half of our sales came from cold calls and cold emails rather than just paid ads, uh, which was a nice, honestly, <laughs> direct response person, uh, <laughs> coming from that background, having, having this knowledge that no matter what was going to happen, we were going to have sales is really, really nice. Um, and then in terms of the recurring, we, you know, we did a lot of different things in terms of the customer experience, the onboarding process, uh, remixing the product suite so that we could better match avatars to products. Um, allowed us to, you know, cut the churn in half um, over that period of time. Uh, and then we proved out an enterprise product suite, which was three times more expensive than our, our current product. Um, and we basically sold a representative sample into that, showing that, that that product suite would have legs for the next owner to be able to build out. So that was that was kind of the process of what we had to go through with with uh, with Jim Lunch to make it a, a sellable exit where we could just get a check and walk away without an earnout, without seller financing, without a consult back period. Um, the day we signed that was the day we walked away. All right. So I want to definitely come back to Jim Lunch because I want to understand that business model. I've had a few. Uh, I've I've heard you know I've obviously watched a little bit and had some aha moments. But before I go there, so let's say. Uh, someone comes to you today, they're, they have a, I don't know, I'm going to pick a random niche here. Um, and for a minute, assume you, assume you, you like the niche, you're interested in the niche. Yeah. Yeah. You like the person, you know, personal development, they're in personal development. They have a webinar, it sells a thousand dollar course and they got something else behind it, uh, coaching. And they're like, Alex, I'm not going to leave you alone until you figure out how to make my company investable for acquisition. Tell me what, give me that checklist. What do you want me to do? How do you turn someone that's doing a one-time transactional webinar? you know, business, what, what, where's your brain go? Where, where do you see that person then turning it into more of a gym launch type of business that could be exited? So I think, um, so one big, big strategy things and then kind of like more tactical. So strategically, uh, the reason I like niches, like, you know, physical therapy, hairstylists, realtors, gym owners, whatever is that, once you basically figure out the model, you can copy and paste a tremendously personalized solution to many people, which then gives you a very valuable thing that doesn't cost much. And most of those businesses have recurring needs. And so we can basically look at what the needs of the business are and say, how many of these can we fill? And then envelope the customer in all the additional services they will need on a consumable basis. And so the difficulty with information is it's really valuable the day before you get it. <laughs> it is not as valuable the day after you get it. Um, but there are other things that are consumable. Accountability is consumable. Community is consumable. These are things that you would value it today and you'd value it tomorrow, right? Um, and so we try and peel apart what are the parts of the solution that we're offering that are consumable versus one time. And so once we peel those out, we can make those elements a recurring basis on the back end. Um, that starts to build up MRR in the business and makes it, you know, reliable. And honestly, just solving that problem is the primary emphasis in the beginning is what is the recurring product market fit that people will continue to stay and pay for within this, you know, opportunity vehicle. In the personal development space, 
it would have to be probably something that was much lower cost because they're not business owners. So it would likely be things that would be, you know, tools that would assist them. So it might be, well, they started an LLC, they're going to need tax services. They're going to need um, probably websites. That's like, you know, uh, click funnels, right? Like they had their own, it's they're, they're in the, in the biz op very early uh, entrepreneur stage. So uh, they, what do they need? They need a website. That's a recurring thing they're going to need to have. So it's like peeling apart all the little need to haves. Uh, and in personal development, they're not going to have a lot of revenue. So it's going to be probably lots of little doodads and widgets um, that would create that recurring base. Got it. So so it sounds like, though, and this is what I've heard before, and this will be a perfect transition into, into gym launch. But to me, it sounds almost like your favorite, right, is almost a copy paste of gym launch. It's almost like, how can we do gym launch? But for like, I don't know. I like pizza. So I was like, think about pizza today. It's like pizza restaurants, right? Or like, like you said, like hair salons or spas or any. So it sounds like pick a local business that is a business owner. They're, they're successful. They, they have cash flow. They have money and show them how to build that business and come up with the licensable model for them to use. And they will pay five figures a year to license this. And that's the model that not only gets your interest, but that was the same model that got the interest of your buyers. Yep. I mean, and it doesn't have to be brick and mortar. It's more that uh, it's more, I want to, I love, I love businesses that sell a particular way of making money. So rather than say like make money online, like that's tough. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, it's too varied. There's too many different avenues someone can go down. But if it's like, Hey, here's how you start a rank and rent website business then it's a very specific opportunity so we can create specific solutions to them that we predict they're no, we know they're going to need. And so we can just, A, provide more value. B, we know where the path is going. And so that we can basically, I don't want to say siphon, but plug into whatever future revenue streams we help them build. And then a, a big function of that is like, how, how good is our customer success? Like, are we able to very consistently get these people a result, in which case we build our back end? And so that, that way we, we become much more aligned because the enterprise value is going to be based on the likelihood that we can take somebody from whatever vehicle they're in into our vehicle and make them successful. Because then the more successes we have, the more MRR we build. Got it. Okay, great. So Jim Launch, was was that the big breakthrough? Was it you went from selling, I know your story, but you, you were going to gyms one at a time, doing all their work. And then from there, you had a day where you, you took some calls and you're like, wait, what the hell? Like I can sell this for 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, 9,000, you know, and just sit in one place. Yeah. I, so from there, you went and landed up on a licensing model. And, and so talk me through that a little bit. And like in the end, when Gym Launch was sold, what were the key product offerings and where did most of that revenue come from? Like what was the product offering where you were like, oh, that was, that was the big breakaway for us? Yeah, there's it's there's always two products. We've been we I I tend to like simple product suites. So so we had a front end, we had a back end. Um, Gym Launch was a product that basically sold a turnkey acquisition system. So it was you know use these ads, use these pages, insert your your name here, use these emails, insert your name here, use these meal plans, grocery lists, food preparation instructions, eating out guides, and put your put your logo on it, um, and press go. You know what I mean? And people will start walking in your door. Here's the things you say to them. Here's 20,000 recordings of other people selling the exact same thing. Um, this is how you price it. This is how you downsell somebody. This is how you upsell somebody. This is how you tie in supplements. All these elements. It was just a turnkey kind of acquisition system. The, uh, the backend program was like, okay, well, then what would you sell them on a recurring basis? So if you think about that business, what are the things people need? They need new ads because ads fatigue. Uh, 
So rather than, you know, so you can, you can give those ads once you know that they're tested and work. Um, you can add the accountability portion. You can have all the systems to scale the team. So it's going to be the ads to the trainers, ads to the sales guys, ads to the front desk girl, um, and the recruiting process in order to get those people in place. Um, all of the, you know, the, the CRM that we, that, that they used was actually just a white label CRM, um, that we partnered with. That was a, a gym specific one. Um, and so for each of those things, they just kind of became revenue streams that we're able to tie into on the back end, um, and sell a much longer term, uh, kind of deal. And so it was just front end, back end, and we just tried to ascend the people that you know were successful at implementing the front end because then we knew they'd be successful at implementing the back end. And that was it. Very simple model. What, what was the front end? Was it like a course or was it straight into the licensing model? Like I think the back end was like the full suite, right? Pay us X amount per year and have access to everything. Yeah, the Jim launched the original product for the first five years was 16,000 for 16 weeks. So okay. 16K, 16 weeks, thousand bucks a week. Um, and, you know, gym owners would make significantly more than that in new, new contract sales, cash up front, cash collected, et cetera. Um, it definitely was not a course. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, we parted from that probably five years ago. I saw, you know, I saw the course business world. There's nothing wrong with it, but it was, uh, especially because we're niche, you know what I mean? So you've got 50,000 gyms, micro gyms. I'm not going to, you know, if I wanted to sell 2000 gym owners at a thousand bucks a pop, I'd make $2 million. Like that's just not super interesting. Um, but if I sold 2000 gym owners at, you know, a hundred thousand dollars pop, it's like, it's 200 million. It's much more interesting. So it's like, how can we, how can we do that? Um, but no, for us, it was implementing an entirely new business model because with the implementation of like the acquisition system, other holes in the business become clear. It's like, ah, oh, your pricing on your current, you know, business is off and Hey, these are the new membership options you should be selling. This is how you should lay out your floor. This is how you should be comping your coaches. This is how you comp your sales guy. Like there's all these other problems that came up as soon as we solved the first problem. So the first one was really just kind of an accelerator to get them people in the door, get them cash in their pocket. And the second one was to buy them time back and transition it from a job to an asset. Got it. And the, so that was a front end. Your front end was 16,000 for, 16 weeks. What was the back end behind that then? 42. 42. Was that the licensing where they get like access to like basically the done done for you? Licensing. One was just a, a truncated duration. But yeah. Okay. Got it. Because they could it. use the ads. They could use the pages. They could use everything we'd already built. Just press go and just put their, put their name on it. But they could use it only for that 16 weeks. Was that the? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty seamless transition into the 40 because it's just more of what they already paid a lot of for and got value. My favorite upsell, more yeah. of what you already got. Yeah, more of what you already got, which you probably liked and enjoyed and got results from. So now you want to keep using it. Ah, makes sense. All right, I'm glad I asked that question. Um, all right, we're going to do a little. Very simple business. <laughs> well, and, and I'll tell you, I've run. All right, here, I'll say it. I made learn about it as damn complicated as it can get. I've made other businesses. Actually, I actually think my superpower is I, I complicate things. Like I go in and I'm like, oh, let's, you know, let's see, how do I do this? And lately I'm just like, and I swear, I think it's because we had a baby. So I have like limited energy. So I'm just like, yo, like, like let's not do that. Let's not do that. Let's definitely not do that. Let's just do this. And like, let's just do this and do a lot of it. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's, um, I was listening to Grant Cardone the other day. Um, there was an event and I was listening in virtually and he was just like, there's 8 billion people on this planet. Like there's 8 billion people on this planet. Cause they were trying to do something. And someone was like, the goal is a million. And he's like, that's a stupid goal. And I'm here thinking like, that's a pretty damn good goal. A million people to opt into something. And he's like, that goal sucks. It should be at least 10 million. And it's like, well, wait. And he's like, there's 8 billion people on the planet. Like, what is wrong with you? So I got to thinking about that. And, and you've talked about this in your podcast before where you're like, 
lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the information space, will get to a certain size and they're just like, think it's over and start launching everything else. And it's like, dude, you, you barely got started. Like there's such a huge market. Um, I was, uh, I have a friend, really good friend of mine. He's, he owns a pizza restaurant. So I was like jiving with him a few weeks ago, telling him ways and strategies to use the internet. Why well, I don't see anyone doing this. I'm like, this is how you can get business using the internet. It's like not hard. And he's just looking at me like completely like, right. And I just happened to go Google this and I was shocked. There's 42,000 pizza restaurants, um, in the country. And I was like, holy crap. Uh, I think it's 40, so it's 42,000 non-franchise, non-corporate owned. Uh, so okay. it's, that, that yeah, it's like, it's 42,000 like independent pizza, which first of all, by the way, that was a really easy data point to get. And I was like, wow, that's cool. Like Google had it right at the top. And I was actually yeah. thinking of you. I'm like, this market needs to be Alex Hermosi. Like this, like these guys don't know what they're doing about how to get business. But, um, all right. I have a question. I don't know if you're publicly on the record about this. What's the next book you're writing? $100 leads. Ah, nice. Love it. So your book, you know, I, I, that's how I came to know of you. And I feel like a lot of people are kind of getting to know of you from a lot of places. I'd kind of, you know, seen stuff about Jim Launch and all of that. But your book, you know, and when the book came out, so this is funny. I'll give the backstory. It was like, everyone started talking about it. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Talking about offers. Like, <laughs> what is this $100 million offers? Like, what is this? Just ridiculous. So I was like, I got to look at this. Like, I've been in this space for 20 years. I don't know what this guy is. So I opened the book. I started reading it and I'm like, that's the one question, by the way, that I have. So I teach copywriting. I teach everything. The one question I have always struggled to answer for students is, how do you make a good offer? And like, I could just never really answer it. It's a tough question. And so nowadays, it's just like, go buy Alex's book. Like That book's got the full framework. And I also say good luck because it's freaking hard. You'll spend more time trying to check off the boxes in that book than ever, but that's by design. So $100 million leads. So you're going to share systems to generate leads, uh, paid, organic, all anything else that you've got, you shared about that? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's four ways that a person can let another person know about a thing. And then there's two strategies in addition to that. So there's six in total, but the other two leverage the first four. That's awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, can, do you have a rough idea when it's coming out? I'm guessing Q1. Um, okay. I finished the final, I like the first draft uh, this last weekend. And so I'll have to go through second drafts and edits and all that kind of stuff. And then usually I'm guessing that'll probably take 12 weeks. Um, and then from there, it'll take 12 weeks to get it published and all that kind of stuff. So probably six months ish from now, Q1. Awesome. All right. Um, <clears throat> so let's, let me ask you this question. You kind of alluded to it earlier. Will you ever operate another business or is it just investor from here on for you? It depends how you see the, the, the hold co-operations, you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, if it, it's like, if you think about Warren Buffett and, and Charlie, I think they definitely are active in, you yeah. know, Berkshire Hathaway, they have 19 employees, et cetera. Now is, does it require, do any of the portfolio companies require them to grow? No, absolutely not. But they're actively involved in trying to, you know, fix things. Now, obviously they're much older now and they take, but it's not looking at what they're doing now. It's looking at what they, what they did to get here. Right. I think they were working a lot. Um, and so, you know, it's the same degree. That's, that's very much how my time is spent is it's almost all um, helping the portfolio companies, but not, actually selling something if that makes sense sure so so that but that's the and i was actually going to ask you it sounds to me very berkshire hathaway 
And I was going to be like, do you have any employees at acquisition.com? I have seen the office you work out of. So I did see that TikTok video. Can't, can't fit many employees into that office. So do you, do you have any official employees of acquisition.com? Yeah, no, we have a full Okay. Very okay. Full okay. Awesome. And so what, what are they doing other than obviously the support staff to help support you? I know I've worked with your assistant who's awesome, but do you have people that are out there looking for deals, analyzing the deals? What does a support staff look yeah. like? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely the deal, the deal analysis side. Um, that's a decent amount of, of, of bandwidth, but if I were to divide the company up, 75% of it is supporting the portfolio companies. Um, okay. And so that's, basically everything we can to help each of the departments of each of the companies grow. So we've got people who are experts in marketing, people who are experts in sales, experts in all, you know, all these different components so that we can help them grow. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. So you have people that work full-time for acquisition.com whose job is to coach whatever their expertise is into the portfolio companies, whether it be sales or marketing or any of that. Yeah. I wouldn't use the word coach, but yes. <laughs> Support. Is that better? So why not use the word coach? I'm curious. Why, why'd that get you laughing? What's wrong with that word? Mostly because I think it has a different connotation. You know what I mean? Okay. I would say this is much more, you know, advice counsel than it is like coaching. You know, they're not on accountability calls and stuff like that. They're more like, this is how you need to lay out this department. This is the comp structure. These are the way that we're going to recruit these people. Like we need to switch the software up, things like that, rather than like, hey, did you do the things you did last week? Um, you know what I mean? It's a little, yeah. it's kind of consultant slash, like almost like a board member it's much. Yes. It's much more akin to that. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Well, that's, that's a good, that's a good difference. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, all right. So let's pivot to social media. Yeah. It's a lot of work, man. Why not just do some paid stuff? What's going on? Like, and, and let me, let me share why I'm saying this. So I'm loving it. I'm not going to complain. And my, <laughs> My social media is blowing up, but we were just talking about this before our interview started yeah. where my head AV guy was like, man, we're just like, it is so crazy how fast we burn through the stuff we shoot. Cause we'll, one week we'll be like, yeah, we're two months ahead. And it's like, Hey man, I'm about to run out of content in like three days. So like, can we film more? And I'm like, we just filmed. And so it is exhausting, but I'm seeing, you know, your stuff and, and you're, you're very prolific. You made a video recently where we talked about like kind of how much you spend just on it. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, you came from paid, yeah. you did a ton of paid, and then all of a sudden one day you're like, I'm gonna do organic, like a lot of organic. Talk me through that mi mindset. Well, the first one was, so we, I said just, just now that there's six ways you can get customers, right? So you can do paid ads, you can do content marketing, you can do, um, you can do cold outbound, or you can do uh, warm outbound, or you can do uh, referrals, or you can do affiliates, right? So those are kind of like the six strategies you can do to get, get people, right? Um, I had built a company using five of those six. Um, so I've used, so I've, I've used each of those five in different companies that we've owned and then sold. Um, the one that I hadn't done is I'd never built an organic base brand. And so it sounded fun <laughs> to try and do something that I hadn't okay. done before. And that was honestly the, the primary thing. Um, the secondary reason was that I knew that for me, for what I wanted to build, um, I would want it to be in inbound, like deal deals are not sales. You know what I mean? It's it's a partnership for a very long-term commitment. You have to come in with trust, um, especially because we're in a minority stakeholder situation. Like we have to be able to lead with influence rather than with legal, you know, arm twisting, which is how I prefer not to live my life. And so kind of solving backwards from the problem of like, how do I get lots of people who already trust me to want to work with me for the long term? It's like, well, then they should have consumed a lot of my stuff. So I can either do a paid thing, but that's still more salesy. Um, and we're buying, not selling. So we're in a reverse situation. So I had to 
kind of reverse the funnel and uh, make it off of inbound. And so that's why I did it off organic. Yeah. No, and it, and it's great. I, um, you know, I saw right around the time that I saw you really go deep into it was right around the time that I was thinking about it. I have not done cold outbound, but of all the ones that you mentioned, the only two I've not done are cold outbound. I've done a little warm outbound. I could probably do better with that, but I had not yeah. done organic at all. And mostly the reason I had yeah. done not, not done organic was it is a time commitment, but mostly also I'm a bit of a private person. So the idea of me talking about yeah. my relationship with my wife or whatever, it just yeah. didn't really settle with me. And so this is a funny story. You'll appreciate this. So we use some of the same resources in the sense of consultants that work with yeah. us. So the first time um, he came down, flew down to film with me, he's talking and he was telling me a lot about kind of stuff that you and him have done together. And he keeps talking and I'm like, all right, when you went to film with Alex first time, how many videos did he do? And he's like, he did a hundred. I'm like, we're gonna do 101. And he's like, I, I don't want, I was like, we're gonna do 101. <laughs> he's like, we don't really need to beat Alex. I was like, damn it, I said we're gonna do 101. Um, but it's, it's, I was arguing with him because he would tell me to do a certain topic, right? And I was like, I wanna talk about that, right? And boom, he'd be like, let me show you, right? And of course he would show me your channel. And, and so I studied your channel, I like the mix. I think it's very, very meticulously done. You can see the the balance of like, hey, sticking to the point of like, you know, that attracts that, but then come up, sometimes kind of veering off and getting personal. What's interesting is I would watch your content for more of the professional side, but I just told you earlier, I'm like, I've seen your flannel shirt, I thought, uh, your flannel video. I thought that was freaking hilarious. I've seen your office video. So actually it does help for people that are following you to like kind of see that other side, like your Chipotle thing, dude, makes me laugh. Like every time I go to Chipotle, now, every single time I eat Chipotle, I'm like, I think about Alex Ramosi. So you somehow branded yourself along Chipotle now, but that stuff really helps. And um, so when I got started with it, I, I wanted just outreach. I was like, I'm really tired. Here was what I was tired of. I was tired of every time someone sees my face, it's commercial. It's an ad, it's me holding something, me saying, come. Yeah, and I was like, I would love, I'm at a different place in my life now. I'd love to be able to, every time someone sees my face, I want them to be like, oh, what does he have to say today? Like, And so organic was the best way to do that. For anyone who's listening or watching, organic will take some time, but man, once it starts to take off, it's like a freaking freight train that, you know, like right now we're getting on YouTube alone, like 15 million views a month. I don't even know how to process that. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's growing so fast. So um, what's your favorite social media channel? Let's say gun to head, you got to lose them all. You get to keep one, which is the one that you think. To consume or to, to consume or to post them? No, to post for your business. Uh, I like YouTube. YouTube? What about to YouTube consume? YouTube and I would have said YouTube slash podcast. I just like the long form stuff. You know what I mean? The long form stuff, you can go so much deeper into topics. I feel like you can provide a lot more value in a, in a real way. Um, not that you can't do it in the shorts, but it's you get, right. you, you get the difference. It's, you can really take apart a topic and get someone to understand something rather than just like a quick, quick hitting belief shift. Hey, Ryan, did you hear that? Ryan, did you hear that? Long form is still better than short form. Him and I argue about this all the time. Um, you, you can okay. also think about short as top of funnel versus middle or bottom of funnel. You know, yeah. it's a different way of thinking about it. So maybe it's, I mean, it's, again, these are preferences. We do them all. Um, and then uh, in terms of uh, using it's Twitter by far. I'm a huge Twitter guy. I love Twitter. I don't do Twitter at all. I, I don't even I don't even know how to log into my Twitter. I don't know why people like Twitter. What's so great about Twitter? Talk to me. Like I'm not I'm just not in the Twitter land at all. I th so um, 
not to offend anyone any, on, on other platforms, but I think the quality of the average Twitter user is higher. So like they have higher average income, like higher I, IQ, I don't know. Like the discussions that are happening on Twitter are much more interesting to me than like, you're not going to see like tons of co- viral cat videos on Twitter. You know what I mean? Maybe there are, but they're just not getting served to me. I don't know. But like, yeah. there's just less of that. Um, the other thing that more I like about Twitter is- Kind of like it's, more it's, intellect. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it's like a, it's like a more maverick LinkedIn. You know what I mean? Uh, people are a little, you know, people are not necessarily more polished there, but the difference is that people are being judged on the quality of their ideas. So it's not just some girl who's posting butt pictures. It's you know, all you got is, and, and because of the character limit, it forces concision. And so I think a lot of people tend to draw on, a lot of people don't know why they're saying what they're saying. They just like make noise. And so I think there's a higher signal to noise ratio on Twitter overall. And so I think I get more value from consuming Twitter. And then I, I th- also think that Twitter has made me a better writer because it forces me to consolidate my thoughts into single, like very shorter sound bites. So um, speaking of Twitter, so on Twitter, if I want good people to follow, um, could I go to your profile and see who you're following? Is that a good measure to see like some, like, cause we have similar interests, you know, like business people, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would enjoy following the same type of people that you follow. So I'll just hack. Whatever you're doing, it's right. like one third, right. one third, one third. It's like comedians, philosophy, and uh, and business. Those are like the three that I follow. Nice. All right, I can see that. Um, so speaking of Twitter, what do you think? You think uh, you think he's gonna Elon Musk is gonna get Twitter, or you think it's gonna fall apart? I hope so. I hope so. so. I think it'd be really good for the platform, and I really like the platform. Do you think there's a lot of Do you think there's a lot of fake users and robot issues? I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how you deal with it on Instagram, but like a third, I mean, I get, you know, 50 plus comments per post that are just robots on, on my Instagram. So I can't imagine that, you know, I get, <laughs> I'm getting a lot, even on YouTube now, a lot of comments that are, yeah, that are pushing people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, most of my posts on social media, I get to learn just how much people hate me. Um, people that don't know me hate me. And yesterday, so so this is a funny story. You'll appreciate this. So my I got my first one million view video on TikTok after being on it for like almost almost three months, just frustrating me. Um, and of course, it's got my wife in it, right? It's a video about me and my wife, and I don't remember filming it. So my wife has one simple rule with me. She's like, if you're gonna talk about me or use me because she's not she's in my business but she helps manage our investments but she won't like Layla will be on camera and she'll new no. my wife is like I'm not don't take a picture of me don't do anything so she's like if you're gonna use a picture of me or whatever it has to be approved by me first I want to see the picture I'm like all right I don't know man in the middle of this filming session how I end up filming this video I don't remember filming it I'm listening to it again I'm like when did I say that the video hits, I see it on my own TikTok and I'm like, oh shit. Cause I see a picture of her right in the front and I'm like, this was not approved. And I'm like, okay, whatever. She won't know. She's not on social media. She has no accounts on any social media, but her friends usually tell her, except like I check like an hour later and the videos cross like a hundred thousand views. And I'm like, oh shit, I'm like, this is the one of all of them. And it, it goes viral. So yesterday she finally makes me, she's we hit a million. She's like, read the comments. I'm like, never read the comments. She's like, well, what's the point of posting? I'm like, don't read the comments. So she finally forces me to read them. You won't believe this, Alex. I thought I was being punked because they're all positive. I couldn't, I, I scanned a hundred comments and I couldn't find a single negative one. And I was like, wow, I think people are getting nicer. Yeah. 
I, then great. then look at the next video and then I'm like, never mind, we're back to normal. <laughs> like every, everything is good in the land of TikTok. Um, all right, so man, we've been through a lot. So first of all, thank you for being so open and and, and just sharing everything. Um, I for me, it's you know, like I told you with where I am right now, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to nail that simplification side of it. And so it's really interesting to hear how you think about what a business should do to be simple, but highly valuable and kind of learning from the gym launch. Someone recently I saw on Facebook post, and this is a tip for everyone. They're like, stop talking about Alex's hundred million offers book. And if you're smart, go read his gym launch book. I didn't even know you had a book called that. So I was like, all right, I'll go read that. They said lots of great wisdom there. Hey, if you could go back 10 years and give yourself one piece of advice, one, what would it be? to help accelerate your growth faster? It's tough because I wouldn't want to mess up what's happened. I'm very happy with how things have turned out. So yeah. I really wouldn't want to mess with anything. Um, I've thought about that a lot because I, I, you know, I'm sure you play out these hypothetical scenarios, which is like, you know, if well, my 80 year old okay. self comes back in time and, and tells me something, it's like, if he well, comes back in time and says nothing, then I'm like, oh, it must turn out well. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Let me ask it a different way. I'll ask it a different way. It'll be easier. 20-year-old walks up to you right now and says, Alex, give me the number yeah. one advice. What was What's one advice you would give me that you know is bar, bar above all advice about being a successful entrepreneur? Learn how to sell. Learn how to sell. Got it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, so, it's so pervasive. So, I mean, um, I, I see business as three core skills. It's like you got to learn how to build, you got to learn how to sell, and you got to learn how to lead. And so you got you know, the, it starts with selling because no one knows about your stuff until you, until you sell them the thing, right? And then as soon as you sell, you realize that you don't know anything about building product or building services. So then you got to, you keep selling it as people are, are not going to like what I'm about to say, but like the reality is that when you start, you're going to suck, right? And that's normal because why would you be good? You've never done it before. And so you have to accept the fact that you have to just try with 110% to fulfill as much as you can from the promises that you're making on the sales side. And so try not to promise too much. The easiest thing to do is start working for free. Uh, just to get those initial successes in, learn from the failures of, the, of the, the people that you, the customers you get, even if they haven't paid you, even if they didn't pay you, they're still customers. Um, learn to get to the point where they're like, hey, uh, if you said, hey, I'm not going to help you anymore, they would say, well, I want you to help me. And then you say, okay, well then pay me. Um, and then if, if they say yes, then you know you've got something that's actually providing value. Um, and that's kind of like the, the shortcut of selling and, and building products or services. And then the level above that, that turns it into a business rather than just a high paying job is learning how to lead others. And so I see those as the three core skills of business. Yeah. No, love it. Absolutely love it. Um, it's been super interesting. The last question I'll close up with is you've, you're obviously watching the markets. You're seeing what, not markets like in like the market markets. I just mean economy or just different industries. What is one, two, or even three sectors that you're really hoping that perfect application comes through for acquisition.com? What's an area that you're really like, man, I really want to get into or acquire or be a part of a company that's in this area? Man, you should see the amount of cool, interesting companies we see every day. Yeah. Um, from, ex from an exposure standpoint, uh, I definitely would love to have more Web3 stuff. Everything that I have seen come across our table is not people who know business. It's just people who just really know are very interested in Web3 stuff, but think that the normal fundamentals of business don't apply. Um, so I'd love to see a marriage of like the fundamentals of business with the new technology that exists. Uh, so that would be one of them. Uh, it's it's kind of like the internet way back in the day. People thought like fundamentals of business didn't apply with the internet stuff. It's like, it still applies, just has, you know, yeah. different benefits. Uh, so that's one. Uh, number two, I love unique alternative education stuff. 
I mean, it's our core thing, but that's, I love, I love, I love those types of businesses, low capital expenditure, high cash flow. Um, and I, I, anything, and I would say a third one that would be like a shadow one people probably wouldn't expect is, um, payment processing loan, a lot of like finance related stuff. I've become a lot more interested in that side of the world. Um, and like the businesses of finance rather than like, um, finance per se. And so I would say like those are, I limit to three categories, probably like finance, some sort of alternative education, and then Web3 stuff. There's probably three that like would be really interesting to me. Love it. Awesome. All right, man. Well, listen, I want to respect your time. I'd love to have you back in the future at some point. I'm, uh, you know, I, I think Layla's assistant is waiting for her to approve her. So if, if you don't mind, maybe after this, if you can kind of go nudge her a little bit. I'd love to have Layla on um, and talk to her about what she does and her role. I was going to ask you some stuff about like, well, what does Layla do for the business and all? I was like, I'm going to ask her myself, get her on this podcast and um, ask her myself. I'd love to have you back one of these days. Keep rocking, man. Hope to run into you in an event re- at some point. And if I can be of any help to you, please always, you know how to reach me and keep inspiring us. Thank you so much and congrats again on your success. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me and I hope the audience got value from the time we had. Awesome. All right, man. See ya. Bye. Bye. So there you have it, everybody. Mr. Alex Marozzi himself. What an awesome interview. We'll have him back at, at some point in the future. I had actually prepared... I got through all the questions. And so uh, a lot of inspiration there. The biggest inspiration I can tell you is that t- take your business that you currently have right now as it is and start figuring out how to think bigger, how to simplify and how to get it to be something that you can be pulled out of so that you can actually have an exitable asset. Whether you exit or not, that doesn't matter. It's an exitable asset. All right, there you go. Make sure you smash that subscribe button, like button, leave a comment below. And if you're watching us on any other platform or listening to us, please make sure you follow us and subscribe to us. And of course, learnexpert.com, L-U-R-N-E-X-P-E-R-T. Come on, come hang out with us in the number one community that builds information businesses. We can help you build one if you don't already have one, and we can help you grow one if you already do. You know me, I believe in peer-to-peer education. I think it'll replace institutional education. That's my mission and dream in life. This is Onyx Tengal reminding you, when life pushes you, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Fighting Entrepreneur with your host, Onyx Tengal.